y'all. Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Dragassi the Next Generation, taking them two episodes at a time. Today, we ha- are covering episodes 221 and 222. Uh, it's a two-parter called Tears Are Not Enough. Before we start, two things. Uh, spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear, so hide your baby's ears. I'm Tiffany Salter, a professor of Asian American and Pacific literature who also uh, loves and teaches classes on sci-fi, cartoons, and other nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture, teach classes in those areas, and also in writing and digital media. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I'm a professor in the departments of women's gender and sexuality studies, as well as peace and conflict studies. And I do transnational and global sexuality studies, queer theory, and feminist studies. I'm Brendan Shaw. I'm a professor of English in the Humanities Department. I teach a lot of composition along with African-American literature and gender and sexuality studies courses. Uh, And just as a reminder, you can always watch any episode we're discussing on YouTube for free. Um, This week, I'm going to recap the two episodes we're discussing. This is a two-part episode, episodes 21 and 22 in season two, as Tiffany said, which are called Tears Are Not Enough. Uh, Just a content warning before we start discussing the episode. Uh, This episode contains both discussions of and depictions of physical abuse, specifically child abuse, um, and also deals with PTSD, anger issues, uh, anger management, and mental health. So just a heads up. And also deals with grief uh, and dealing with grief. So uh, this episode, like I said, is a two-part episode. Uh, The central storyline follows uh, Craig, who earlier in the season, as we discussed, he is no longer living with his father because his father has anger management issues as he frames it. He's abusive to Craig. Uh, Craig chose to live with Joey and his half-sister Angie. At the beginning of the episode, Craig and Ashley are leaving the school uh, and Craig's dad surprises him and his friends outside Degrassi and really wants to invite him, basically wants to invite him to dinner and over the course of the episode sort of presents himself as a changed person. Uh, He wants to take Craig to dinner. He takes Craig to dinner. Meanwhile, at Degrassi, the kids are all getting ready for exams. So Craig is trying to get ready for a science exam he's really concerned about. And him and Ashley's relationship is getting closer Ashley is concerned about his doing in science. Um, Ashley meets his dad. So there's all these sort of triangulations. At Joey's house, Joey's house is really messy. Uh, Joey really needs Craig to step up and help out around the house because he's trying to manage Angie and Craig on his own. And so Craig ends up meeting up with his dad for dinner. He discovers that his dad told his co-workers that he's living at a boarding school. He hasn't told them that he's still in town. They go to dinner. His dad says he, Craig leaving was a wake-up call, that he's gone to anger management. He offers to help him with science. The next day, Craig goes and studies with his dad. His dad's a doctor. He can help him prepare for a science exam. Um, but he's not telling Joey where he is. Uh, so Joey is concerned about Craig because he needs his help. 
Craig, when he's studying with Joey, has sort of a flashback to the violence he experienced before, and partly as a reminder of what we saw before, but also as sort of a marker of perhaps his PTSD. Ultimately, Craig does well on the exam. His dad takes him to dinner. Uh, he gives him tickets for a Europe trip. He really wants to sort of basically start over and have Craig come back and live with him. Uh, Craig says he prefers living with Joey. He considers it stable. He likes the stability. His dad walks out of the restaurant. Craig follows him, tries to stop him. His dad knocks him down and speeds off in a car. Craig goes home and tries to cover up his cut bruise uh, from Joey. Joey sees it, finds out what happened, wants to call the police. Craig says he doesn't want to. He just wants to never see his father again. Uh, and they decide in the morning they'll go and formalize um, sort of the adoption. But in the morning, the police come to their house and tell them that Craig's father is dead. He dies, died in a driving accident after leaving the restaurant. So that's how the first episode ends. The second episode begins with Snake telling the class about Craig's dad, that Craig won't be coming back to school for the rest of the term. And then right after that, Craig walks into the classroom and the students are really confused. And throughout the day, students are trying to figure out why Craig is acting as if nothing has happened. Uh, they all think that he should be more upset. He's not acting in the sort of way we expect. Uh, he does well in his exam. Uh, which he studied with his dad. Um, he's just sort of acting out of sorts. The sort of background plot that's happening is there is a school dance, a Hawaiian luau. Talking <laughs> about the politics of that. I'm sure we'll have feelings. And that's where this is all sort of culminating. So Craig has asked Ashley to go to the dance with him. In his sort of manic response to his father's death, he also uh, puts him and Ashley up for best couple, which is a sort of equivalent of king and queen, uh, the luau king and queen. Um, and he goes to, uh, so this is sort of happening. There's a funeral. At the funeral, he also acts really manically. He starts laughing during a eulogy. He walks out of the funeral. Uh, this is right before the dance. The kids are confused. They think he's acting weird. There's sort of differing opinions on it. At the dance, uh, him and Ashley win. And when they're um, getting their crowns, he sees what he thinks is his father in the crowd. And it's just someone who looks like his dad. And he sort of flips out, leaves the gym, breaks down in the hallway. And Terry comes to find him, whose mother also died earlier in her life. And they sort of talk through the like what it means to be both angry and sad at the same time about losing a loved one. And he finally breaks down and the episode ends with him getting one dance with Ashley after earlier, he sort of pushed her away for what he felt was a patronizing attempt just to really see how she's doing. The B plots of these two episodes also have to do with the dance. In the first episode, JT's all not doing well as he gets ready for exams. He basically tells Liberty if she'll help him pass, uh, he'll go to the dance with her. JT really wants to go with Paige, but he realizes that Liberty is really looking forward to going with him and he wants to pass his exams. So they end up going together. In the second episode, uh, Paige wants to win uh, this king and queen crown. Um, and she enlists Spinner to go with her. 
Spinner's feud with Jimmy from the previous episodes with the MP3 player spills over. It becomes Jimmy and Hazel versus Paige and Spinner. And uh, ultimately, neither of them win. Uh, there are hijinks. They have a moment at the end of the episode, which makes it seem as if perhaps the different tensions between these four have been sort of laid to rest. Um, and it sort of ends with everyone at the dance. One thing I realized before, before we start talking is they never say Craig's dad's name in this episode at all. Like I had to Google it. His name is Albert, but almost nobody uses it except in the eulogy, I think. Otherwise, they call him Dr. Manning or his dad. So I actually thought it was Elbert, which I have a great grandfather named <laughs> Albert. And I was like, oh, my God, Elbert. No, Albert. Yeah. I really liked these episodes. Uh, I think because so... As a reminder for listeners, me and Tiffany haven't watched this before, and Jacinta and Sonnet have, and they kept saying, this is going to be really deep. So it was interesting to me because it was really emotionally deep, but it wasn't so operatically deep, which is where I was worried with some of the stuff that's simmering this was going to go. Yeah. I actually like almost cried at the end, slash maybe cried at the end, when Ashley <laughs> and Craig are dancing. <laughs> So I, I just thought the treatment of it, like, this is definitely a storyline that could have been much more sentimentalized, melodramatized. Or sensationalized. Or sensationalized. Yeah. But I thought this sort of depiction of someone who's mad at someone and they die and they have to parse out the feelings of both being upset and also this person being shitty, but other people liking that person, I thought that was so well handled for this show. I think it benefits from being two episodes. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think that I, I like the seed that was planted in the first of this, the first episode of this story arc where Craig is waiting for his dad at the hospital and it, another person who works at the hospital, we don't know if she's a doctor or a nurse, but um, uh, comes up to him and is the person whom he finds out from uh, that his father has told everyone that he's at boarding school. And so it's, I think, a really interesting moment because we see this indication of his father's shame, the fact that, like, there's some indication here that his his dad has missed him, but then we also get an idea of the kinds of relationships that he has with his colleagues. It's like, it's a really... It's a it's a very short little conversation exchange that is doing a lot of heavy lifting, and I really appreciate it. Like it, I thought, it was really good writing. It didn't feel clunky; it felt natural, but it, it revealed a lot to the audience. Yeah, I think there are a couple of moments um, where we also get to see his dad's investment in keeping up appearances too, right? Especially when his dad meets Ashley, forgets Ashley's name in a later scene by calling her Allison, and then. When he, when Craig and his dad have the big blowout, his dad drops uh, Craig being a screw up and being with the goth girl. So, like, also understanding his dad's investment in sort of a normalcy or at least some form of uh, normalcy. And class. There's a sort of class thing, too. I think the other thing is one of the things I didn't mention in the recap is there's a scene where Joey goes, takes Craig back to his, uh, Craig's dad's house after his dad is dead and it really functions just for him to sort of remember both the bad stuff that happened there and the scene of this sort of potential reconciliation that sort of 
was really cut short, both because his dad is an asshole and because of the accident. But it also highlights just how big this house is. I mean, Joey has a house as well. But we are never sure if it's like, it seems like it could be a side-by-side duplex. It's much smaller. It's cramped. It's messy. His dad's house is palatial. It's its own piece of land. It has a huge yard. It's cavernous because it's empty. Yeah. And his dad is always flaunting like his stuff. Right. He drives a sports car and they're meeting for dinner at the bistro. Not at like (laughs) Applebee's. At the bistro. um, Which is obviously where you have dinner if you're Craig's dad. Yeah, and also where the the wait staff know you personally because like clearly so like I think that the the server actually addresses him by name. Uh mm-hmm. Albert mm-hmm. or you know Dr. Manning. And so like it's clear that he's there enough that like he has established some rapport with the serve the serving staff. Mm-hmm. And that gift, right? The gift he gives him of a multi-week trip across Europe. Juicy is this sort of like it's it's very much like what you see in a movie and decide this is what you should want. And it seems so much about it's so expensive and so performative. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a, a weird way in which like Craig's dad is is courting him and it, it's like this this it kind of like walks this line between like courting him to come back and live with him but there's also like a tinge of bribery and also there's Mm -hmm. the undercurrent of manipulation because like he's playing on the fact that like he was able to help him with his science like study for his science exam in a way that like was like he's you know basically implies is not possible at joey's place and that like he's going to like if he stays with joey um, he's basically throwing his future down the drain. If he stays at Joey's place and if he keeps dating Ashley, there's a way in which like he's trying to make Craig think that like he's throwing his future away. I mean, he explicitly says you can't study like you can study at Joe. You can't study at Joey's the way you can study here. I mean, he actually does make the comparison at one point, which is wild because like at one house it's messy. You have your little sister kind of disruptive at the other house you might get hit i don't think these things are balanced like right (laughs) and i think like craig obviously sees that too which is why they end up having that big argument but like in albert's mind this is like a rational comparison or at least he one he wants to make and i in that conversation they use the language of stability right so his dad says joey's isn't stable and then craig says being at joey's is stability and so there's a sort of contrast right cuz yeah and the episode starts with how messy the house is and then later on we have the fact that angie is sick so we get to see joey also parenting both of them like he's caring for angie he's taking care of her he's taking care of joey and Part of the reason that Craig is late for the second dinner is because Joey has to stay late to try to make a sale, which is really like highlighting the class differences here, right? That like Joey is sort of needs every sale in his car a lot, right? And Craig's dad can is guaranteed that he will be at the same restaurant multiple times in a week. Right. And also Joey asks, I mean, the difference too, in term, I'm glad you mentioned Joey's parenting because Joey also 
ask Craig to have a certain level of responsibility Mm -hmm. that most teenagers at 14, 15 should be able to do, which is to watch Angie and also clean, help clean up around the house. And the show is interesting because the contrast is that, you know, at at his dad's house, he doesn't have to do all that labor, but in a way it's, the show almost seemed a little ambivalent or maybe skewing to the side of Craig has too many responsibilities at Joey's. And to me that felt, I had a, a, a little hiccup moment while I was watching it because I was thinking if Craig were Manny or another female character, maybe it wouldn't seem as much of a, a burden to have to take care of Angie and help out around the house. So I think it was some interesting gender stuff there too. I mean, I thought like, it's fine that Craig should be helping out around the house. Like, that's reasonable yeah. and normal. But yeah. I also thought that Joey was not being rational about how Craig needs to study for exams. Like, he needs to be able to focus on the exams. It's the end of the semester. You know what is going on. You were only in high school like a decade ago, Joey. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not wild that you're that he would want to be focused on studying right now I realize that you also need help but um maybe balance that a little bit too I do like the scene when he is taking care of Angie where he's like he's playing the video games she wants him to read again and first he complains but he clearly enjoys it so I do think some of what helped me sort of be a little less icky about that ambivalence was just that we've established that he cares about Angie so it isn't a burden as much. And they do an interesting thing where Craig's in this episode caught between the responsibilities with Joey and this sort of fantasy land his dad is presenting where he doesn't have to do any of these things. And really we end up seeing that the fantasy land is cracked and skewed. And even if perhaps it comes with more quote unquote responsibilities, that's better. Right. Because that house is creepy and it's full of, it's basically haunted when they go back. He can't stop hearing his dad say stuff. And even when he studies there with his dad and does well, there's this moment with the coaster where he puts his cup on the table without a coaster. And he imagines his dad beating him up for it, but he doesn't, but his dad does get upset. And so it's like that house is haunted in a way that Joey's house is just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was also, I thought, an interesting episode with the way that Ashley gets used because in this case, like Ashley is just being so concerned. And sometimes Ashley is concerned in a way that's very like wrong, but she doesn't know it in this way. She's doing all the right things. And part of what her role seemed to be was almost like to inform, to remind us that we don't all grieve the same way and that Ashley is doing the right things, but for the wrong person, or I don't know. Well, and also that I I think that like she is there to be the naive outsider because in the first episode, Ash tries to comfort Craig by saying people can change. Um, And, you know, she she, she just doesn't know. She's she's very cordial to his dad, like is doing sort of like all of the things that someone who wants to ingratiate themselves to a potential boyfriend's family does. But the people can change part I think is there to sort of like guide us to like there's no way that we know unless somebody tells us what the situation is and so like short of having all of the information all that she can do is offer platitudes so it it was really interesting 
then once she has a sort of firmer grasp on, on what's happening, like it's more about caring for him, even though like in that moment at the end of the dance, like she's not the person that he needs to talk to. I really appreciated that Terry went and talked to him when he, he went off because, because she's lost her mom and she understands, uh, I think a little bit better, even though like the dynamic with her and her mother, like from what we know is definitely much different than Craig's is with his father. At least she can be there to speak to the grief part of what he's going through, if not necessarily the anger. And truth be told, like most of pretty much all of Craig's friends don't know about his dad except Sean Mm -hmm. and when Sean Sean is also there when his dad uh, arrives at the school in the first episode and he um, refuses in fact to shake his hand Um, and in a very quiet Sean sort of way makes it clear that he is not um, for it Um, and even is like later on like uh, you to Craig, you know, you're not gonna go see him, right? Like, Sean knows the backstory here, mm-hmm. um, and so his uh, reaction uh, is contrasted with Ashley's there, because she doesn't know all of that. Yeah, that was actually uh, my favorite thing of both episodes, was when Craig's dad puts his hand out, and Sean just turns and spits. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I was like, that is so wonderfully petty like perfect pettiness um but then craig does say ashley says he seems nice and craig says when he doesn't have a belt in his hand so that was one thing where i was like did ashley not catch that or maybe ashley's too sheltered to understand that what that reference point means i mean it, it was so fast that i i forgot it until you said it right now yeah there is a sort of casualness to that that like I mean, because Craig does his not Craig's character is written so that sometimes he just rattles these things off like throughout the show, and you're not always sure how to like respond to them. Which is why later in the episode, second episode, when he starts going to this manic state, at first it's hard. At first, it's like, oh, this is just a very Craig response, and then it clearly is more than that. Because I entire it was so fast, I forgot it until you said it right now. And I think in the second episode, we also see, like, all of Craig's friends really doing a pretty good job of trying to respond and to be supportive, like Marco and Jimmy in particular, um, even though they are confused by Mm -hmm. Craig's behavior, you know, they really try to be there for him and extend sympathy about what's going on. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought structurally these episodes are really interesting too because they all lead to this dance. And I thought that it was really well done to have the overarching story that culminates there, plus these other B plots that sort of intersect with the, the the JT and Liberty thing is kind of adorable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the Jimmy and Spinner thing is more directly connected, but I just like all those things woven through. It's a very classic end of season choice, right? Because this yeah. is the end of season two. So we end with a big event of some sort. In this case, a dance, right? Um, where either something wild's going to happen or some kind of reconciliation or something like that to wrap up the season, um, which works pretty well here. We have all these, you know, roller coaster moments, but ultimately everybody comes back together by the end of the episode. 
Yeah, and we also have some comic relief with yes. when <laughs> when Paige decides that she wants to be best couple, she first goes to a tanning bed, goes <laughs> fine. Second time she takes Spinner to the tanning bed. <laughs> Spinner, who doesn't want to go, is claustrophobic, has a panic attack in the tanning bed, gets out, um, and Paige is like, we have to. And so she gives Spinner fake tanner, and then she does the tanning bed. And the result is Paige is burnt to a crisp, looks like a lobster. With white eyes from where her from where the goggles <laughs> were. Yes, and Spinner is splotchy because just a reminder to folks back in the early 2000s, there was not very good self tanner. And I remember seeing so many girls at my high school prom with the same splotchy, we used to call it international orange because it's like, what is this? What is this ethnicity? It's orange. Because I, I went to a predominantly white high school and all of these white girls would just be splotchy orange like Spinner. Yeah, this is like the most I've ever related to Spinner, though, not in the tanning necessarily, but in that I would not want to be in this box. So I am, in (laughs) fact, not going to be in this box. And I think this this definitely predates um, the Final Destination tanning bed murder. But still... Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, I also appreciated the other, the return of Heather St. Clair, uh, who we have not heard about yes! in a long time. Paige, uh, in discussing the the dance with JT, says that Heather St. Clair is responsible for calling the dance the Hawaiian Surf Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was happy to see that, that callback. We'll never meet her, but uh, I do like to hear about her from time to time. And we get to know that she doesn't just have bad taste, but she's also kind of racist. So there's that. Well, yeah. So can we talk about this dance? <laughs> I mean, Please. it is a very uh, classic theme, shall we say, especially of the 90s, I feel like. And so this is like 2002. So that makes, you know, reasonable sense. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the sort of cultural appropriation of Hawaiian culture and mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the, um, it coupled with the, the tanning and the sort of surf paradise. So, I mean, I teach Pacific studies and I'm teaching a Pacific studies class right now. And uh, so I can't like help but like be looking at this through the same lens of like these conversations I'm having with my students about like indigenous critiques of the the notion of paradise and how that sort of like gets packaged to sort of to colonize Mm -hmm. the Pacific. This episode also or this dance also made me think of the conversation we had a couple of episodes ago with International Day and the way that like Mm. there is a sort of there is a a lack of even though I know that these things are often sort of like driven by um, the students, um, you know, like whatever your prom theme is, is sort of like selected by the students themselves. One nine pairs. Yeah, exactly. Under the sea, love is in the air or, you know, whatever. Roman holiday. (laughs) So, but like, like, I think that there is there, it just called back to me that conversation that we had about how uh, complicit the, the school is in whatever the Canadian form of, you know, multi- what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> like multiculturalism. multiculturalism. All I could think of was multi-ethnic and that is not what I was looking for. Multiculturalism. <laughs> yeah. And without, without any sort of like self-reflection. 
The real question the real question is, have you ever seen a goth Hula skirt? Oh my before? god. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> because Ashley, in fact, has a goth Hula skirt uh, for the pants. In all caps in my notes, I was like, Ash in a fucking <laughs> goth Hula skirt. <laughs> I kind of loved it. Uh, I The comment about her dignity was bizarre, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I liked that. I I think it's the callback to the International Day is interesting, too, because in both cases, uh, Snake is the person that makes it confusing because in International Day, he's the one who's using the faux Rasta, quote-unquote, accent. And here, he's the person on stage with these dancers, but they're, it's, they're not, they're, like, dancing to, like, a synth beat, yeah. There's no actual music being produced by the people on stage and he has like a staff that he like is hitting the ground with to get their attention to announce the winners. So in both cases he's this sort of like goofy adult child uh who functions to complicate everything. But like it's also confusing cuz he's dressed there in like a safari outfit like Livingston I presume. Yeah. <laughs> so I you know yeah. it's like Snake's been watching Tiger King. No. (laughs) I was thinking, um, the, shoot, what is the name? Steve Irwin. Mm -hmm. I was thinking that vibe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stuff with the tanning, I think also is interesting because obviously the way the couples work out in this feud, it's Jimmy and Hazel versus Spinner and Paige. And um, this is like the second time in a couple episodes where they are paired together in a non-romantic way, but it's still this pairing that relies on them to be read as a couple. Because in the Taming of the Shrew episode, they team up together or they're paired by Miss Kwan. Here they're paired up mostly because Jimmy wants to win and Hazel is there and he sort of there's like a very small amount of him preying on Hazel's feeling that she is in Paige's shadow, right? which is interestingly mm-hmm. not really unpacked very much. It's sort of used to make it happen. And then by the end of the episode, somewhat diffused, but you know, there are, they are this black couple that is never really a couple so far. It's just this like play couple versus the white couple, which is also a little more of a couple, but still a play couple that went and got awfully tanned. Right. Can I talk about the other couple here that we haven't talked about, which is Kendra and Toby? Um, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was my favorite thing. I love that so much. So Kendra and Toby, like, there's a confrontation between the two couples, Jimmy and Hazel and Paige and Spinner, in the media lab. And I didn't catch the exact quote, but Kendra says something like, it's dumb. And Toby says, that is why I love you. And then he, like, backpedals immediately because, like, obviously it is way too soon and they are way too young to say I love you. At least, like, this is what Toby is... He realizes as soon as he says it, like, what he said. And it's very cute. But then also, they're manning the voting kiosk. Like, they don't have, like, slips of paper. Like, they have a a touch screen for people to vote on at the dance because Degrassi is ever embracing the high-tech future. And they coded it. They coded the voting thing. 
Kendra's exact quote is, what's the matter? Who wants to win some stupid luau? And I was like, this is amazing. Yep. That was, yeah, that was my, that, and at the end when the Crashly Crash moment made me cry. Those were my two couple moments where I was like, yes, please. Oh, but we didn't talk about JT being a good guy. Oh, the JT and Liberty stuff, which I actually liked when we got to see them at the dance, too, because they were clearly having fun. Yeah, I mean, I only talked about it. I sort of glossed it a little bit because there was a lot going on in this episode. But yeah, there is this moment. I mean, you can talk about it if you want. Yeah. Um, so Liberty and JT have a sort of can't buy me love arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. We should watch that one. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I love that movie. Hell yes. So JT needs Liberty's help to study for his geography exam. And she said that she will do it only if he goes with her to the dance. And he hems and haws and agrees. And then the first episode, we see JT going back and forth whether or not he's going to actually follow through and go with Liberty versus asking Paige, which is what he really wants to do. And we have this awkward conversation between JT and Paige and Liberty walks up right as when JT is about to ask Paige. And then JT decides to pivot and say, Paige, will you help Liberty pick out a dress to wear to the dance? So JT follows through with something for once. We do see them at the dance in the second episode and they seem to be having fun. So... With their little coconut drinks. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, the JT has set the bar so low for himself that like True. we are happy True. when in like in mid sentence, he switches from being a total jackass to being like kind of an okay guy. Although, you know, Liberty like should not be setting herself up for this at this oh, point. For like sure. this is, she has been around and around with JT already. Like, <laughs> Liberty can have desires. Liberty can be irrational. Well, but she also, like, she does hang on. She does say, I realize it's not a real date. Like, I mean, like, she explicitly knows this. So, I mean, she is, she is simultaneously holding in both of her hands the fact that, or her fantasy that, like, you know, she and JT will go on a date, but, like, also recognizing it for what it is. Well, and I thought, I mean, I know that there is a low bar with JT, although I do think there's been like a series of episodes that are working on deconstructing him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, although they keep doing it over and over. Like there's a weird way this show is obsessed with him as the guy who keeps learning this lesson. But I thought in that moment, it wasn't just that he was being a good guy. It was also like a good, he was reading the room pretty well for JT. True. Yeah. For sure. To switch in midstream in a way that saved the moment. Because that could have been way shittier to Liberty. Yeah. But it ends up being really good. Partially, I think there's a couple times he talks to Toby. And Toby sort of weighs in on the sort of what he needs to do. Toby is his sort of voice of reason as usual. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, along with the dance, that also makes this two-parter very classically end of a season is that there's this exam pressure which is motivating so much of what happens so that throughout there's exams then there's cleaning out lockers there's all this sort of getting ready for the summer thing that teen shows do when they follow a school year arc Mm -hmm. just to make everything very nostalgic yeah Well, shall we talk about our favorite things? I know we kind of dipped into it a little bit, but like, I'm going to say my favorite thing is uh, that 
when Spinner goes tanning, Paige is in the lobby enjoying browsing through a men's health magazine and the sort of like Mm -hmm. (laughs) the facial responses, she turns it up like there's a centerfold in it or she's like she turns the magazine like she's looking at a centerfold. And I just I really uh, like enjoyed Paige enjoying looking through a men's magazine. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I'd say my two, I have two favorite lines, both um, from the first episode. Um, one is when the random geography teacher says, in my day, we were lucky enough to get pencils. You get your <laughs> geography exam online. Yeah. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. And then the other one is during the Page Liberty JT conversation in which we have great matching purple um, accoutrements on Page. She says, I'm thrilled for you, sweet potato. Yes. <laughs> and- <laughs> so good. It's so good. And I was like, oh, Page. <laughs> Um, this is probably TMI, but that is a pet name that my partner calls me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you called him a sweet potato. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so mine, I actually have, I have several, but uh, my biggest one is Jimmy and Hazel wearing matching outfits at the dance because they're used, they're wearing the same fabric because those who know me know I, I love it when squads match up. <laughs> um, and then also there was... There's a moment where I wrote in my notes, Jimmy and Marco would make the cutest couple because the two of them, (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm shipping this because the two of them really have a great communication style and they're just on the same vibe. And I was feeling it these episodes Um, that and then Ellie has a couple of great memorable looks, too. Ellie also has like 10 cameras. And, and also <laughs> fake bang, like clearly fake bangs. Like, <laughs> oh, they're so bad. But uh, can I also just like ship here for a moment and say that I ship Liberty and Terry. That's my ship for the, for, for this show. Huh. <laughs> huh. That's interesting. I love fandom. Uh, my so one of mine was Kendra's line that we already discussed, and Kendra and Toby in their little bit of this episode. I already said I cried at the end, so obviously that. Um, also just like Terry is like barely in these two episodes, but when she like has her scene with Craig, I think there's a lot of good acting in these two episodes from Craig. Mm-hmm from uh, the guy who plays his asshole dad, from Ashley, but also from Terry, who's just so often underused. Yes. And and then also, I mean, that whole sequence with Terry and Craig, their acting is so good. And then when they go back and Ashley is also just so good, that actress at being like, I want to do like 10 things. Like, I don't want to be here. You are an asshole to me. I'm concerned about you. I also secretly want to dance. And then they dance and the line about you can ask how, like he tells her she can now ask him how he's doing. Just was such a good like treatment of grief. This is why I cried when I watched this apparently. Aww. It was very yeah. adorable. It was really yeah. great. Um, so predictions. Uh, my prediction is that Crashly will happen next season and that it will be uh, yeah. a crash. Like it will be not great. <laughs> No, like, I, I, I foresee disaster. Decrashter? No, that didn't work. Stop. I mean, I, yeah, I assume it'll be good and then bad. This is the way the show cool, works. Cool, cool. This is an actual trajectory. 
obviously, obviously the Marco storyline is going to blow up because it didn't blow up at the end of this season. And we have in the background at the dance, him and Ellie clearly having sort of now they're friends and they got past that really uncomfortable thing a couple episodes ago. We don't really get any like zoom back into that. So yeah, there's that and whatever's happening with Sean and uh, Emma will surely bubble back. Well, so we'll find out (laughs) next season. We'll find out next season. After summer yeah, break, after, you know, after summer break, we'll find out what the, how these pr- uh, predictions play out. Um, so this is the end of the season of Degrassi, but we will have a bonus episode for our next episode. We're going to be watching um, Center Stage, uh, 2000 Center Stage. And I always think that um, Save the Last Dance came first, but actually Center Stage came first. Just for our listeners, if you want to watch along with us, we want to offer a content warning for Center Stage um, for uh, a lot of, there's a, uh, a lot of discussion of and um, a couple of depictions of disordered eating. We we want to just warn you um, if so that you can make an informed decision about whether to watch along with us. Uh, we hope that you join us next time. Uh, and we also hope that you join us next season when we start back up. So in the meantime, whatever it takes. I don't make it through. <laughs> I, don't I don't remember after that. If I hold on. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to go find my pager. <laughs> You're saying your yep. pager? I guess it's not a pager. It's that little phone the woman has in her back pocket. Mm-hmm. It's a flip. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In my head, I actually, yesterday, watched a bunch of the season openings because I was trying to remember when the theme song changes because it changes like four times over the course of like the next 10 seasons. And so I had to figure I want like needed to know when it changed. Well, okay, okay. Oh Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for spending time with us again. Be sure to find and follow us on your social platform of choice. We're on Twitter at Fat Bleeping Pod and Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. And please share the good bleeping words with friends, family, random acquaintances that ex you reconnected with during quarantine or whoever else might want to listen to four professors talk about teen TV. Please like, and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. If you really like us, please leave a five-star review for us on Apple podcasts. It would really help us out. We also want you to check out my friend, Chris Robley, who has allowed us to use his song anonymous for our intro and outro music. You can find anonymous on Chris's fifth album, the great make believer. His website is chrisrobley.com, and that's R-O-B-L-E-Y. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Robley. And Chris is also the co-host of the DIY Musician Podcast, so check it out. This week's episode was edited by me, Tiffany Salter. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk at you next time. <laughs>